Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. In this episode of the Smart Economy Podcast, I chat with Willie Ogrizali, the head of decentralization at Fox Foundation. The Fox Foundation is a not-for-profit organization dedicated to supporting the ShapeShift DAO in achieving full decentralization. ShapeShift is a non-custodial exchange that launched in July 2014 and began to decorporatize in July of 2021. Now, the DEX is developed and maintained by a decentralized community of builders from across the globe. In this conversation, Willie and I talk about his first startup and how that parlayed into getting Aqua hired by the then centralized Shapeshift, what it was like working through a bear market while Shapeshift was also facing an existential and philosophical dilemma, how DeFi protocols offered a glimmer of hope for the platform, the announcement of and subsequent shutdown of the Shapeshift corporate structure, how the new Shapeshift DAO operates, fostering a community among decentralized builders, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Willie, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today I'm joined by Willie Ogrizali, the head of decentralization for the Fox Foundation. How are you doing today, Willie? Is today the best day ever? GM Dylan, you guessed it. Today's the best day ever. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Actually, the first time we hung out at an event and we shared the same house for the night. The next morning, you woke up and said GM to everyone in person. And I realized that was the first person, first time I'd ever heard someone say GM in real life. (laughs) So it was pretty awesome. Um, Now I have my girlfriend saying GM to me every day. So pretty psyched about that. Oh, well done. Yes. Thank you, sir. So you recently relocated out back from Colorado to Texas, where you're from. So I kind of want to start off this conversation. And before we jump into the crypto stuff, I think you have a really cool background in founding a company and then exiting. So could you just share a little blurb about what you were doing with Just Legal, how you started that and what that process was like when you were able to leave it behind and go on to greener pastures? Happy to. Yeah. And it's a perfect segue into my my life in crypto. So Just Legal was my first startup. And when I started it, uh, it was a class project actually. And we were taking, I was at the University of Colorado in Boulder and we were taking an entrepreneurship course and as part of the class, we had to create a, a startup concept throughout the whole semester. So the original idea we had was like video chatting with lawyers. I was also taking a business law class at the time, had a simple question, Googled it, couldn't find an answer, Googled video chat with a lawyer and couldn't find anything. And I was, I was surprised it didn't exist at the time. So we went down that path as, you know, initially as, as students. And then I decided to continue working on it after that semester, worked on it through the next summer. And then for one more semester, and then we actually ended up dropping out with one semester left to focus on the startup because things were going well at that point. And we had learned a lot. We still had a lot to learn, of course, but we went from like really knowing nothing about starting a company to getting very excited, very passionate, seeing a very real opportunity that we thought we could solve and um, building a team and building a solution for it. So Just Legal, when we really started getting traction, we were just building the, the initial MVP website. No plans to actually have it launched yet, but it was live. We didn't have any staging server. 
And as soon as we added this uh, scheduling widget where you could actually schedule an appointment, uh, we didn't have any lawyers signed up yet. It was just like the form to fill out and select a time. We started getting bookings from people who are looking for a lawyer. And uh, that was kind of our first bit of traction. It showed us that really the scheduling was what was valuable. And um, yeah, without going too into the weeds, we continued building for years. And ultimately that led to an acquisition in 2017. It wasn't a huge acquisition. We had raised money, uh, almost a million dollars. We were actually halfway in the middle of a fundraising round when we got hit with a lawsuit. I don't want to go too too deep into the details there. But basically, we realized that the, the right thing to do was to basically pursue this acquisition interest that we had and um, return value to the investors, which we did. And then it was a, a small win for the team. And throughout the course of 2017, as we're going down this acquisition path, I also got into crypto. So we had moved back to Austin for an accelerator program. I sold my house in Colorado. I finally had some money to invest because before I'd been putting everything I could into the startup. And uh, yeah, that was right at the beginning of the 2017 bull run. I got very hooked on crypto. And um, by the end of the year, when we finally completed the acquisition and sold Just Legal, that same month, we uh, started Bitfract. I started Bitfract with some other friends that I had met through the accelerator program. And Bitfract was the first tool where you could trade Bitcoin for multiple cryptos at once. It was built on top of Shapeshift. So before Bitfract, it was like you could trade one asset for another at a time. After Bitfract, you could trade Bitcoin for all the assets that Shapeshift supported. So like 65 assets in a single transaction. That was pretty exciting because after going from this first journey of like, it was five years, it was a huge uphill battle to build this SaaS-enabled legal marketplace. Like we were really trying to disrupt the legal industry. And we were, you know, 21-year-old kids, college dropouts who were starting a company for their first, for our first time. And then we took all those learnings and we started Bitfract and Bitfract was an amazing journey. And it was six months from like having the idea and starting it to acquisition by Shapeshift and just an amazing roller coaster in between, just like the show Silicon Valley, basically. And uh, yeah, Shapeshift acquired Bitfract in June 2018. And I moved back to Colorado to work out of the Shapeshift headquarters. And then, yeah, that brings us to now, which it's almost it's like four and a half years later. And still contributing to Shapeshift, but now working for the Fox Foundation and just a community member for Shapeshift DAO. Awesome. Really cool venture you've gone on. We use some of our validator node income for validating the Neo network to distribute back into folks who are developing dApps and developing just anything that touches the network. And one of the teams that we distributed a micro grant to is actually based at a CU Boulder and they're part of the entrepreneur program to, or part of an entrepreneur class. I'm, I'm not sure if uh, you were part of the program or not, but before we delve a little further into what you did and, and where you're at now, what's like some advice you would give to a college student who is balancing their workload, but also going deep into the crypto degen rabbit hole and trying to build a product, a solution or a dApp in this kind of like blossoming industry? Oh man, it's probably some may not be the, the best advice, but I would say drop out. It, it worked. It worked out for me, and especially in this day and age, like if you're already going down the rabbit hole, unless like what you want to do requires a degree, unless you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, I think there's so much opportunity right now in Web three to learn and to get paid to learn, and you can always go back to school. So that was actually the agreement I had with my parents. They really didn't want me to drop out, and I was like, well. 
if I don't drop out and I miss the opportunity to pursue this dream that we have and somebody else goes to build this because I know someone else is going to build this if we don't, then I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life, basically. And I can always go back to school. School will always be there. But like, here's our opportunity to, to build this and to change the world. So the agreement was that if the startup failed, I would go back to school. And because you know it wasn't a huge success, we didn't technically fail. So <laughs> I haven't had to go back and I have, I have zero regrets because every day in Web3 that you're contributing, you're learning so much. And they don't teach this stuff in school. If, if Web3 is what you're passionate about, it's going to be really hard to get current up-to-date education at a university. So you can save a lot of money and you can still actually earn money. You can learn a lot. You can start building that network, which is so critical, especially in the Web3 world. So yeah, my, my recommendation would be to drop out and join a DAO. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And, an, and a shameless plug for the Shapeshift DAO to look into. I love that our Genesis stories into the crypto space starts with Shapeshift. I bought my first NEO on the old Shapeshift well before KYC implementation. So is that like the platform that you were using that you built Bitfract on top of? Yes. Shapeshift was also one of the first crypto companies I was exposed to. I remember a friend who was telling me about crypto, showed me the Shapeshift app, and was like, you got to download this app. And I, yeah, I loved it immediately. And then... I'd spent a lot of 2017. I wasted a lot of time trading and I thought it was a bull run. So like I, everyone thought they were a genius. I started, I'm like, oh my gosh, the number keeps going up. And uh, if you ever use CoinCap's altfolio feature, they have the ability to like build a portfolio. Like, you know, I have X Bitcoin, X Ethereum, X Doge, and then track it over time. And um, I realized at the end of 2017 that my original altfolio, so my original positions actually outperformed my latest portfolio. So all the trades that I had made, even more money I'd been putting into crypto and stuff, all that time was wasted. And I would have just done better if I had just sat on my hands and done nothing. All those nights staring at charts were for nothing. So that was a, a big learning lesson. I had a good friend who was my co-founder at Shapeshift, who I met at CU Boulder. He had always advocated for just a diversified portfolio, dollar cast averaging, more of like the investor approach than just a trader approach. And that was a big inspiration for Bitfract. And we basically, he had built this tool called Albatrage, where you could just really easily design a portfolio and you could do it by like whatever custom percentages or weighted by market cap. He was using it because he was getting a lot of questions from friends of like, which cryptos should I buy? And instead of just recommending one or going into the weeds, his advice was just, you know, buy a weighted average top 10 market cap portfolio. But there was no easy way to do that. So basically he had built this cool tool and we realized that if we just built on top of Shapeshift's API, we could just add an exchange button right there and let people buy that portfolio. Um, and nothing like that existed at the time. And all the tools were there. So it was a really awesome experience. And we, we took the lean approach. And I remember we built without raising any money. We never raised any money for Bitfract. We did it with a small team of friends who are all experienced with startups. We all had a, kind of our first startup experience under our belt. We're looking for the next opportunity. Had this idea. It was end of 2017. So crypto was super hot. And we're like, this needs to exist. Um, and it, like you mentioned, it was pre-KYC. So it was the good old days. We built the landing page for it before we even built the backend. And we just put a uh, you know sign up for beta instead of an exchange button and tweeted it out. We actually went down to a conference that Shapeshift was at. We walked to the booth and we showed it to them. And we're like, hey, look, you know, we love you guys. Check out what we built. And they were super excited about it. Through that, I think word got back to Eric. And Eric um, then tweeted us out pretty much at that point. Things started going bonkers. The next day, like that tweet started going pretty viral. The next day, Bitcoin.com put us on their homepage and people started making all these videos in different languages about Shapeshift or about uh, Bitfract. And then, yeah, a month after putting out the landing page, we launched our MVP because it was so easy to build on top of Shapeshift's API. They really did all the hard work. But Shapeshift had a super cool program where they would pay 
basically 50% of the revenue that they generated to partners, to other interfaces or integrators that drove volume to Shapeshift, which is awesome. So we were able to make Bitfract free, public good, didn't cost any extra to use it. And we're generating revenues on day one that the app went live. So like, it was an amazing experience coming from like this five-year uphill battle going to Bitfract, um, which is just, it worked out so much smoother. And it was like, we were having the best day ever every day. I know we were in a co-working space and I think we were like, we may have bothered some of the other teams working around us because like every day we're like high-fiving, like let's go ride scooters because like we're just so hyped up because an amazing connection just happened that like we never could have imagined. Like it was really just an amazing startup journey. And yeah, learned quite a bit from that as well. And it was cool to see kind of both sides, like an uphill battle and then what it feels like to really just have product market fit um, and something that people really love on day one. Yeah, that's amazing. And was this like an auto rebalancing tool or was it just simply like I have 0.5 Bitcoin and I want to buy a third ETH, a third Doge and like a third Bitcoin? It was the latter. Rebalancing is where we were going to go next. And um, so we had this concept of Bitfract Labs. We never got to that. But um, I think one of the things that people really loved about Bitfract was the UI where it was the, like the Pink Floyd logo where you have a beam of light coming in and that was Bitcoin. And then you have a rainbow coming out and the rainbow was color coded to all the coins that you were purchasing. And you could actually, not only could you type in a percent and be like, oh, I want 25% Ethereum and 15% Doge. You could actually click and drag the uh, bars of the rainbow as well. So it was really beautiful, kind of unique UI. And I think that was another reason that people really just love it and got excited about it. Because it wasn't just a boring spreadsheet looking app. Yeah, totally cool. Amazing that you guys got acquired in like six months too, when Shapeshift saw, well, the then Shapeshift, the corporate Shapeshift, when they saw something they wanted, they went after it. So you guys were talking about best day ever moments when you were down in Texas in your co-working space and annoying, annoying your coworkers. And then you guys get acquired and, and presumably move back up to Colorado so that you could work at Shapeshift headquarters. This has got to be around the end of the 2017 bull. And when 2018 came around, and I think a lot of people listening right now, especially new market entrants who are the class of 2020, 2021, they might be able to relate with this a little bit. When you guys moved up uh, here, it was, it was 2018 and things were starting to get dire and bleak, let alone like the KYC issues that Shapeshift was going to have to go through later on that year and into 2019. So when you moved up here, what was kind of like the focus on your day-to-day? What did your new role entail when you were at Shapeshift HQ? And also as kind of like the dread was setting in, what was the vibe like at the office? Yeah, this is it's really a great question, really interesting story. So our first day at Shapeshift was the AllFox. It was actually, I guess, like a couple of days before we actually started, but we were able to join the company's AllFox. They invited us to join uh, this was the All Fox of the meeting that Shapeshift did every month. Now we do it every two months as a DAO. And this All Fox was the All Fox where Eric told the entire company that we were going to have to implement KYC. So we were so excited. We love Shapeshift. Shapeshift pre KYC was the most popular way to trade crypto non custodially by far. It was very profitable. You know, the future looked so bright. Part of the reason that Bitfract team was brought in was we were, it was kind of both an acquisition, but really an aqua hire. And they wanted to bring in the team to help build what became the new version of Shapeshift, but at the time was called Axiom, but we never released it as Axiom. But it was basically, if you ever used beta.shapeshift.com, similar to, it had a lot of the same features as app.shapeshift.com, but it was our centralized version. And you could connect multiple wallets, initially keep the hardware wallet, buy, sell, trade, view your whole portfolio. It was basically like taking all these pieces that Shapeshift had built, the market exchange, the 
price data from CoinCap, KeepKey Hardware Wallet, and marrying it all into one unified platform. So um, the Bitfrec team was brought in to focus on that because at Shapeshift at the time, every all the other team members were focused on other efforts. And we had, they had just come to the conclusion that they were going to have to implement KYC in order to continue operating in the United States. And that was the worst day ever. I remember everybody was devastated. Eric was not happy about it. Nobody at the company wanted to do this, but we had basically, after millions of dollars of legal bills, come to the conclusion that we had no other choice. And we had to do it in six months. And so we had to like rebuild all of the app to now work with accounts. Um, it was so much simpler before. It made the user experience worse. It was a ton of overhead. And then we also had to like, in the company, create these compliance departments and new roles and stuff. It was a huge challenge. And not only did it add a lot of expense to Shapeshift and make the app worse, but like it, it really destroyed our trading business. And I remember like when we announced this to the world, crypto Twitter was pissed. People were like, F you, you've sold out to the devils. You guys should have just shut down, like never using it again. It was really, it was really tough. And yeah, the, over the next years, like we really struggled. I think we did everything we could to maintain and attract new users, but it was tricky. And a lot of our, um, a lot of competitors that had popped up and kind of copied the shapeshift model and were based outside of the United States were much slower to implement KYC. So we lost a lot of our users and partnerships to these competitors. Then fast forward. Yeah. So I could stop there, but I'll just say, yeah, it was in 2020, we saw the proliferation of DEXs. We saw Uniswap and that was super inspiring. Basically like in 2018, it was not feasible for Shapeshift to just rip out our centralized exchange and plug in DEXs. DEXs were not feasible yet. There was atomic swaps, but they didn't really have liquidity. Certainly not enough liquidity to actually handle the volume that Shapeshift was seeing. So 2020, it finally had become feasible. And um, we realized that Uniswap was achieving the original Shapeshift vision better than we were and not requiring users to give up their personal private data. So we embraced that change and we integrated 0x to aggregate all the DEXs January 2021. And that was pretty cool because it was like crypto Twitter was stoked. They're like, shapeshift back. We love you guys. <laughs> it was the exact opposite. Yeah. I mean, I remember during that bear time, uh, I was one of the 5% that remained and I KYC'd. And that's how I was purchasing most of my my Bitcoin during that time was, I think it was Wired that you guys were were partnered with. RIP Wire. RIP. Yeah. Uh, sad to hear. Um, so it's it's really cool that these DEX protocols kind of enabled Shapeshift to like rise from the ashes like a phoenix. But before we go into that, since you're like an OG and you've basically been building in this space for five, five and a half years, I'm just curious to hear how do you think the industry has played out? Like when you first got psyched on building Bitfract and all the cool things that was going on with crypto back then... What did you think 2023, January 2023 would look like? What kind of tools would be here? And do you think that the industry's kept up with what you where you thought we were going to go? Are you surprised by anything? Do you think that something's missing? Oh, I love that question. I will preface this by saying I'm I'm a permeable and I'm an optimist as you can as you as you know. So I had pretty high hopes for crypto and I was really inspired. What really got me, I think, excited about crypto and finally got me to take the plunge was hearing about Ethereum. Uh, that was the first crypto I bought. And this idea of this like global dApp store where you could have completely decentralized applications that anyone could launch, anyone could access. And then hearing like, <laughs> I'm an altcoin maximalist. I have way too many coins. My wallet often breaks when I plug it into interfaces because they can't handle more than 100 tokens in your wallet. I love these visions and these altcoins. And like, I hear it. I'm like, this makes so much sense. Let's centralize all the things. And so, yeah, I think I, I kind of was sold on the idea that uh, buy a lot of these ICOs and, and altcoins that 
they were going to be able to disrupt the status quo and that this new Web3 world was in so many ways better. It was going to take us some time to get there, but we would get there. I still think we're going to get there. I still have no doubt that we're going to get there. I have complete conviction. It's just taking longer than I anticipated or would have hoped. I do think I always expect kind of finance to be the initial beachhead market and use case. And I think that continues to be the case, but we are starting to see a lot more innovation, uh, a lot more use cases. So yeah, you know, we have made quite a bit of progress. When I look back at where things were in 2017, we have come such a long way. And in fact, we're like almost at the point where we can handle onboarding the masses and we can actually handle that scale. So like, that's huge. And we need, we need to be there. We need to get there. And I have no doubt that we are going to get there. And in fact, I'm confident that when the next bull market comes, all the builders are going to wish we had more time during this bear market to prepare. Because this next one, like this could be when we start to see the masses really trying to come on board to crypto. We're close to being ready, but we're not quite there yet. So if the bull market started tomorrow, we'd be scrambling. (laughs) Totally. So I think uh, what you just talked about is kind of like an apt metaphor for what happened with Shapeshift. I mean, the way that I understood how 2017 Shapeshift worked is that there were wallets that Shapeshift managed that people could trade between. And then in January 2021, when all these DeFi protocols were started to be implemented on the back end, you now had like a decentralized protocol like Bancor or Uniswap or something like this that was handling all the assets on behalf of users who provided liquidity. So you said that that response from the end user was like amazing. They were like, yeah, Shapeshift's back. We love you guys. And during the KYC days, you know, the bad KYC days, customers dropped by 95%. So January 2021, you implement all these DeFi protocols. What was the surge in user activity like? Were you starting to feel those days like in 2017 when you first started your second startup? Were you starting to see like this parabolic growth or was it like slow? Was it a slingshot? What was that like? Yes, it was um, definitely... Uh, cyclical, wavy, uh, certainly not parabolic growth. But I would say like as general trends, we had kind of been bleeding users from 2018 through the beginning of 2021. And as soon as we made that announcement, we hit an inflection point and we started growing again up to right when we announced the, the launch of the DAO, we had 150,000 monthly active users and we did over 50 million in trade volume, which is still far from like the, the billion dollars in monthly trade volume that Shapeshift did at its peak but was a lot higher than I think at one point it had dropped down to single digit millions per month, basically. So, And then I think since then, we've kind of had a similar, a similar experience since launching the DAO, where we basically spent the first year of the DAO rebuilding the existing Shapeshift app as a new open source app architected for complete decentralization, but not really adding a lot of features. We were focused on just rebuilding and getting to parity. And I think we were bleeding users slowly as the industry evolved around us. And we were late to integrate cheaper EVMs and layer twos or features like Wallet Connect to allow users to go connect to other dApps. So I think that played a big part in us slowly losing users. And it feels like we've kind of bottomed out now. We've migrated everyone over to the new apps. And now we're finally focused on actually adding new interesting stuff, catching up on some of these core features that we're missing out on and seeing growth once again. So hopefully this is the the double bottom and we're ready to bounce back. Yeah. So when in January 21, when these protocols were being enacted, were you guys already thinking like, hey, we're going to go completely decentralized? I know it was mentioned later that summer. So was it one of these deals where like in January 21, DeFi protocols are implemented and you're like, all right, let's get rid of all the OSHA posters and get rid of all this government double think mind speak that we have to have in our office? Or was this something that 
you guys started thinking about immediately in January 2021. And then it just snowballed so quick that by the summer, you're like, okay, we're going to go completely decentralized and, and replace the corporation structure with a DAO. It's a great question. Eric and John, I think, would be the ones who, who really know because I didn't hear about the DAO until May. And so January, I don't think that anyone was thinking DAO at all yet. I know we were having some conversations. And as product manager, one of my responsibilities and goals for that year was to increase Fox utility. We had this token out there. And it especially made sense because we were moving away from our past model of um, basically having these Fox tokens waive the fees on trades. Now that we're integrating these DEXs and we're not putting fees on trades, we needed to kind of reimagine Fox's utility. And um, I've been seeing the proliferation of DAOs. I've been contributing to give it and seeing firsthand like, oh my gosh, these DAOs are amazing. You can just have a community of people all around the world come together and ship beautiful software without any legal entity. Like, this is amazing. This is magical. And then we saw all these, all, like a lot of the most successful DeFi protocols of 2021 were structured as DAOs. But we were a centralized organization. So I remember we were having these conversations and I was like, I didn't think it was possible really for Shapeshift to transition into a DAO at the time. But I'm like, how can we at least give the community more ownership, give them more power to influence the roadmap and everything? Like, how can we get Fox as close to a governance token as we can? I think in April, when we implemented, when we integrated ThorChain, that was another key piece because before ThorChain, there wasn't a way to trade cross-chain. And Bitcoin and ETH have always been Shapeshift's most popular pairs for trading. So we still had the centralized exchange to power cross-chain trades until the day that ThorChain launched mainnet in April. We launched an interface with ThorChain. We finally shut down the Shapeshift trading desk and we stopped KYCing users. And at that point, I think that's probably when the kind of light bulb went off in Eric and John's head. And they realized like, okay, we're out of the regulated business now. We don't need this whole compliance department. We don't need to KYC users anymore. In fact, like we don't really need a legal entity. Like at this point, we're just an interface between users and their their keys. We're non-custodial in these decentralized protocols. And I think that's the point when I think they realize like the best way to achieve Shapeshift's vision. If we want to be the ultimate interface, the ultimate interface shouldn't be owned by Shapeshift. It should be owned by our users, by the community. Um, and it should be fully open source and fully decentralized itself. And for it to be fully decentralized and owned by the users, like we need to remove Shapeshift's entity from the equation. And so, yeah, when I remember... <laughs> When they told me that we were going to to become a DAO, I jumped out of my chair and screamed with excitement. I was like, I was so excited. Another best day ever. It was pretty exciting. And then we launched it July 14th. And that's when we started the six-month transition to basically wind down Shapeshift centralized operations. And do you think that the pandemic and the quarantines and the shutdowns, did that like expedite the process? Did that plant a seed? How did that kind of like fit into the whole decorporatization structure? Great question. I would definitely say the pandemic was a, a catalyst and expedited that transition. We were already all working from home. And I remember before that, Shapeshift really wanted employees to all be together in the same office. It felt pretty strongly about that. So it wasn't until the pandemic where we were forced to all go work from home that we actually saw, okay, this can work. So I think that was a critical piece. Cool. And so now you're head of decentralization at Fox Foundation. Uh, you're a member of, of the Shapeshift DAO, you're a community member. So what does your role look like now, now that you're not a product manager at this central corporation anymore? And what does that look like now as a, as a DAO member and, and the work that you do at the Fox Foundation? A very interesting, unique role, unlike anything I've ever done before, but I really like it. Um, I do still get to interact with the product team a lot. I go to their standups. I'm kind of like an on-call product manager if they ever need someone to come step in and help out with stuff. But my day-to-day -day role at the foundation, my 
core responsibility and mission over there is to support the DAO in achieving full decentralization. So things like this month, we're handing over a bunch of accounts that the foundation has been administering, Web2 accounts like Twitter, over to the uh, to a group of workstream leaders who have tenure of over one year. And this is just another step forward in our progressive decentralization. A big milestone we hit last year was actually completing, and the DAO is mostly responsible for getting the new app to parity. But basically, we migrated all of the users from the legacy centralized Shapeshift apps over to this new app, and then we sunset all of the legacy centralized infrastructure. So that was a huge milestone in the foundation's mission. So these days, yeah, my, my role basically, like my core responsibility is looking at all of the remaining responsibilities of the foundation, the things that require a legal entity that the foundation is currently handling, and just going through one by one and figuring out how can we transition these to the community. And some of these things are not possible. So like managing the apps in the app store, it's another uh, responsibility of the foundation. We don't really have a clear path yet for how we can transition that to the community and make it and maintain uh, sufficient decentralization because the app stores require legal entities. And there's no businesses I know of yet that will manage it on behalf of a DAO. (laughs) So still TBD, how some of these things will be figured out. And we're hoping that we don't have to necessarily build all the solutions for it. In our spare time, and we're not focused on decentralizing these responsibilities, really just supporting the DAO um, in any way I can. So whether that's facilitating conversations um, or community calls or really encouraging people to come participate in governance, just helping out wherever I can is what I love to do. And so I just get pinged all day long with random requests and pretty much always say yes. I don't know if I should put that out there, but (laughs) a lot of my day-to-day is just supporting DAO because ultimately in order for the foundation to be able to achieve our mission, we also need the DAO itself to be healthy. So when it comes to DAOs, decentralized autonomous organization, it's people who choose to agglomerate and aggregate according to a mission that they buy into and they want to be a part of. But we're still in this like unique, weird area in 2023 where just legal structures don't quite know how to grok what a DAO is. And maybe it's impossible for a DAO to get a bank account without like a centralized entity acting on behalf of that DAO. So is that basically what the Fox Foundation serves as, is the intermediary between the DAO and like existing legal frameworks for things like bank accounts or phone numbers or hiring lawyers or whatever it might be? Yes and no. So to your point, right now, there's a lot of things the DAO without a legal entity can't do. Or actually, I would say there's a couple of things that a DAO without a legal entity can't do. You can't sign contracts or enforce contracts and you can't have a bank account. And that's basically it. Obviously, a lot stems from that, but those are the two things you can't do. On the flip side, a DAO without a legal entity, there's infinite things you can do that a centralized legal entity cannot do. So for some DAOs like Shapeshift, we've decided that that trade-off is worth it. And we'd prefer to um, give up the ability to sign contracts and have bank accounts in order to be able to do all this amazing stuff and, and push the boundaries. The foundation, it's not meant to just be like the shell or the legal entity for the DAO. In fact, like we do try to keep them separate. They are separate in that the foundation has no control over the Shapeshift DAO. Shapeshift DAO has no control over the foundation. They're both independent entities and the foundation's mission is just to support the Shapeshift DAO in achieving full decentralization. And the foundation does plan to dissolve once it has achieved its mission and has no reason to, to exist anymore. So basically because Shapeshift was a centralized organization, when it shut down, it wasn't able to transition everything over to the DAO. So things like trademarks, but also the servers that Shapeshift was hosting. We also have a database of all the users who created a, a wallet on Shapeshift with an email and password. Those are things that we can't just like publish publicly because then they could get these encrypted seed phrases could get brute forced. 
But right now, like we're maintaining the database so that if you go to Shapeshift, you can still log into your wallet and are planning to do that for, for years. And also emailing all the users and saying, hey, come back up your, your wallet. Because again, like with GDPR rules and stuff, there's not a way for a DAO to manage a huge email list, at least without individuals being potentially liable for these huge um, GDPR fines. So those are some examples of what the foundation does. But certainly like we try to not take on more responsibility and we can avoid it. So like for things like we're not, just paying a bunch of whenever the DAO needs to pay a bill in fiat, we really encourage the work streams or the contributors to figure out alternative means to do that. Unfortunately, there's all these cool tools popping up that enable uh, that now enable contributors to go from crypto to pay fiat bills with debit cards. I think it works well because we really eventually we do want to go away. We're trying to not inherit more responsibility if we can avoid it. So we are somewhat in some cases there as a last resort. We do want to support the DAO and make sure that it can do the things it needs to do. But we also really focus on maintaining this separation and not taking on additional responsibility if there's an alternative mean and, and the DAO can do it without us. Yeah, that's really cool to learn about the differentiation between Fox Foundation and the Shapeshift DAO. Prior to this conversation, I wasn't too uh, in the know of how the two are separated. And I really want to go into like the way that the platform is being developed through these work streams. But you have to pay engineers and developers to contribute because everybody's time is valuable, especially people with knowledge and skill sets to help build out this vision. So how is the DAO funded? Is this through like an initial lump sum from Shapeshift, the former corporate structure? Is this through revenue and the funding gets stronger and stronger as we see growth of the platform? What's kind of like the funding situation like? Yes. So when Shapeshift DAO first launched July 14th, it was a Shapeshift, the centralized entity transferred, I think it was 240 million Fox tokens to the DAO because at the time there's a total supply of 1 billion and less than 1% of that had actually been given out to users. So Shapeshift still had over 99% of the token supply and it gave over about a quarter of it to the Shapeshift DAO. It also did an airdrop of 340 million Fox tokens to about a million past users and community members. Any of the airdrops that weren't claimed after, I think it was three months, maybe six months, those got returned to the DAO treasury. That was initially all that was in the treasury was just Fox tokens. And initially contributors were getting paid in Fox tokens. There was significant liquidity in order for them to liquidate it if they needed to. And then we transitioned, once we started getting some stable coins into the treasury, we transitioned to paying stable coins by default but any contributor can opt into getting whatever percent of their salary they'd like in Fox. There's now actually, you can get a, a bonus if you opt into getting paid in Fox and locking your Fox. So this is pretty cool. Shout out to Hedgy Finance. If any DAOs are looking to extend their runway in the bear market and also come up with a creative way to actually give um, a bonus to contributors who get paid a native token, but not a bonus that they can just dump immediately, but a bonus based on how long they lock it. Hedgy is a perfect solution for that. And we give contributors a bonus of 5 to 30% if they lock up their Fox for 3 to 18 months. So uh, the, re the, the revenues came from a variety of different avenues. We also established a the community elected a treasury management and diversification committee that was focused on diversifying the treasury in ways that wouldn't cause um, negative price impact to Fox. And the yeah, we've generated millions of dollars of revenue through 2021. And where our goal is to get to $10 million of stable coins before the bear market hit. We're pretty sure that a bear market was going to come at some point. We had the feeling it would be around June 22. And uh, of course, it ended up hit coming a little bit earlier. So um, we got to about 7 million in stables by April or so when the, when the bear market hit. 
and um, still have a little bit over 2 million of stables currently. We've cut down our expenses quite a bit during the, the bear market. And this is really interesting to see all these work streams who basically had kind of autonomy. There were sub DAOs who had autonomy over their own budget, basically coordinate and make their own decisions to, to optimize their budgets before the community came in and passed proposals to do it for them. So are the DAO treasury managers, are they like elected in? Is it Fox token holders who get to participate in governance? What does that look like? So yes, any Fox token holder can participate in governance. We also give Fox voting power for Fox on Polygon or on Gnosis Chain or Fox in the liquidity pool or staked in the farm or Foxy. So we really, part of our governance process stipulates that we will do our best to give voting power to Fox wherever it's feasible. Also, anybody who has 100 or more Fox can submit a proposal and Fox token holders can vote on them. It's gasless. Um, you're just signing a message using Snapshot. Fox token holders can actually execute they can include transactions in our proposal and execute those transactions without any multi-sig. We also have a multi-sig that is elected by the community that um, has the ability to execute transactions more rapidly because going through that whole proposal process really takes like over two weeks to, to go from like idea to actually ex- being able to execute the transactions. Whereas the multi-sig can execute any transaction as long as the community has consented. It's committed to not executing any transactions that the community has not given consent to. And ultimately, it's up to the community to decide when they're ready to remove that multi-sig. Yeah. And I also want to show, uh, not the price, but the really cool airdrop of Fox. I was It It was then the largest airdrop distribution. Does Fox still hold that that reigning title? It's a good question. At the time, I think the value of the airdrop was like a little bit over 100 million. And then, of course, right afterwards, it pumped and, and was even higher. Definitely, I am not aware of a airdrop that was as large in terms of breadth, but I'm not sure uh, in terms of the value of the airdrop. I wouldn't be surprised if there were airdrops that were more valuable. Yeah. The breadth is is really what's amazing though, because to distribute the tokens to a million different users and wallets really just highlights the reach that the former pre-KYC Shapeshift decks had. Something I really want to pull your brain on and just kind of like Eli 5, what a rebasing token is. Users can essentially stake their Fox for a new token called Fox E. So can you just share like Eli5, what's a rebasing token and how does Foxy help further support for the Shapeshift platform? So a rebasing token is simply a token whose balance can change without any incoming or outcoming transactions. Another popular example is Ampleforth. With both Ampleforth and Foxy, there's different rules around rebasing. Ohm, of course, is another very popular rebasing token. But what they all have in common is that at some point, the balances will get updated proportionally for all the different holders of the token. And they can either be rebased up or rebased down. In the case of Foxy, it only rebases up. So Foxy is backed one-to-one with Fox tokens. So to mint Foxy, you deposit Fox. And to when you burn Foxy, you get your Fox back. And it rebases once per week. And it rebases when we... Anyone can add rewards, add Fox rewards to this contract. So um, basically, it's the DAO's kind of primary method of being able to share value it creates and captures with token holders. And it's very similar like to XSushi, where you stake sushi, you get XSushi. They're still, they're figuring out their new tokenomics. So basically, like as value accrues to the protocol, that accrues to XSushi holders. But the really cool thing about Foxy is that the tokens that are staked in the contract aren't just sitting there idly. 
So the Fox staked in Foxy actually gets deployed to the Tokamak reactor. I won't go too deep into the Tokamak protocol, but basically if you deposit Fox into the Tokamak reactor, you earn Tok tokens. With Foxy, those Tok tokens are then converted into Fox to then generate kind of a baseline yield for Foxy. And then furthermore, um, those Fox tokens get deployed to liquidity pools. So by staking Fox for Foxy, you're still helping to further Fox liquidity. You're earning, you're able to earn yield from not inflation, but actually revenues generated by the DAO. And then also you get a baseline yield, which is currently from Tokamak, but we also have the ability to change that to a different strategy, basically. So like, I like to think of it as a really nice evolution of the traditional yield bearing or really staking reward contracts of it that a DAO uses to share value with its token holders, because not only do you get the value that the protocol generates, but you can get some baseline yield, which should make Foxy the ultimate way to stake Fox single-sidedly. Yeah, very cool. So basically, Foxy is, for all intents and purposes, like a bet that a DAO community member or Fox token holder can make on the success of the DAO. So what are some of the things in governance proposals and in governance processes that token holders can vote on? And I'm also curious to learn a little bit more what do you do when maybe workstream leaders are at odds against what community members say they want to see happen next? If the community wants prototype A implemented, but workstream leaders are like, we need to do prototype B, but there's differences in opinions between token holders and voters and workstream leaders. How does that get resolved? Man, we, we usually just have like mud wrestling competitions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So um, there are a couple questions there. First is what can Fox token holders vote on? This is actually a really kind of interesting question because at its core, really like when we imagine the multi-sig going away, really the token holders having complete control, what token holders really can control is whatever the DAO treasury can control. So any of the assets held in the DAO treasury, any smart contracts that the DAO treasury administrates, that is what token holders have direct control over. But then there's all this other stuff like you know roadmap or things like a code of conduct that... I guess theoretically we could post that on chain, but right now we're not, it's not posted on chain. So token holders, of course, can control any of the transactions that the DAO treasury can execute. But also, you know, like we we just did a, a roadmap proposal um, just because that's the type of thing that we want the community to weigh in on, basically. Um, even though theoretically, like the product works and the engineering workstream could go execute on other stuff, the community has now expressed their interest um, in what they want. They've had the chance to deliberate it and give feedback on it. And now we're all aligned on a community saying this is this is the roadmap that we're all focused on. And to your second question, because ultimately, in order to get renewed, these work streams are beholden to the community, it probably wouldn't be in their best interest to go against what they know is the community's will. There's kind of that nice game theory that keeps everyone aligned. But there are ultimately like it is up to these these work streams. So the community delegates power to work streams. And I guess I can take a step back and just really quickly explain what a workstream is. A workstream is a, a sub-DAO for Shapeshift DAO. Anybody can propose it. And typically these workstreams are, you know, have a specific mission, goals, and KPIs that the community can use to measure their success. And they request a budget. And if the community chooses to approve a workstream, then that workstream gets created and they're a sub-DAO. So they have their own treasury and they're able to allocate that treasury autonomously without going back to the community to get permission for every single day-to-day -day decision. This is, I think, a critical piece of Shapeshift's design that enables us to move so quickly as a decentralized community. 
Because you can imagine, especially for DAOs at scale, you know, if they have more than a dozen contributors, how overwhelming it would be to the governance process every time someone needed to get paid that required a proposal to the DAO. So instead, the communities approved these work streams. Work streams are able to move quickly and uh, control their own budgets. And then if the work stream is ever really misbehaving or doing a bad job, or even like, yeah, malicious in, in an extreme example, the community does have the ultimate authority and has the ability to, to cancel that work stream, to revoke the rest of their budget, to appoint a new work stream leader. So ultimately, the community is on top. But these work streams, and we have product work stream, engineering work stream, growth work stream, operations work streams, they enable us to get stuff done quickly. And they these work streams typically have more context to make informed decisions on these day-to-day decisions. Whereas a community is uh, an average token holder is able to measure the success of a work stream at the higher level and make informed decisions on whether or not this work stream should get renewed or should get canceled better than they are able to weigh in on day-to-day decisions. So work streams work really well for us. Yeah, cool. Full disclosure, uh, I'm a yes vote for the first half of 2023 roadmap proposal. <laughs> uh, so just to make sure I understand, like the work stream could be maybe some former developers that were at Shapeshift HQ, the centralized version who came over to the DAO and they wanted to build out the actual platform, the app that users use to interface. But it could also be like me, somebody who says, I want to make a Shapeshift DAO podcast and I want to apply for funding for the first quarter. I'll release X amount of episodes and interview Y amount of, or Y type of guests. So is that kind of like the way that work streams are created is by somebody proposing them and then they're voted in? Exactly right. Anybody is welcome to come propose a work stream. We do have a kind of a special project. So typically to date, the way that work streams have kind of been conceived is that they will be more for like these ongoing initiatives, like engineering or product operations. But we do have um, a special projects set up in Colony, which is what we use to manage the treasuries of these uh, work streams. It's also possible that it would fall within special projects, but it's still kind of the same idea. Cool. So kind of like uh, shifting gears a little bit, the work streams are really cool because you have people proposing what they want to work on. And I guess people are like self-selecting which stream they want to participate in. And we also alluded earlier that the pandemic kind of showed that people can work autonomously, asynchronously on their own times from their own rooms. But one of the things I've noticed since I've gone full-time being a asynchronous content creator is that in an office, you have people kind of like getting around the water cooler, uh, sharing ideas and cool concepts. And so sometimes you might have this creative process that people experience just because they share the same meat space together. And Shapeshift doesn't have that anymore. So you guys recently did uh, the DAO Wow. And now that uh, Shapeshift DAO is completely decentralized, this was an opportunity for people to fly to a central location and kind of get together and brainstorm the future for the Shapeshift DAO. So could you just share a little bit about what the DAO Wow was, how many people attended, how was the event structured, things like that? Happy to. The DAO was freaking awesome. We're planning to do this every year. To your point, it's very important to get everybody together in meet space when you're working virtually. Something that I really miss about being in an office. So the DAO was this opportunity for us to get... We had over 25 foxes come together in real life. We also recorded and streamed it all to uh, foxes who couldn't make it in person or anyone around the world who wanted to attend. It was The stream was completely open. 
it was interesting because I think different community members had kind of a different idea of like what the main goal of the DAO was. But to me, it was mainly to get everyone together and to look at, you know, the past year, year and a half of the DAO, see what had gone well, what didn't go well, and what can we do better? And also just get aligned on the roadmap for 2023 and the vision and give space for everybody to propose other ideas or to give feedback. And we accomplished all of that over the course of a week. Also, we just had a really good time too. So it was like working all day, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then at night, we'd hang out and bond and, and party and then wake up and get right back to it. So as I mentioned, we started with the retro. Uh, what went well, what didn't go well, what could we have done better? We talked about strategy. We kind of, we talked about vision and again, gave room for like, what is a vision in a DAO? It's kind of the collective of, of every community member's vision. And we wanted to give space for people to propose kind of alternative directions, especially because we had just gotten to this milestone where we hit parity, uh, which is, had been the, go, the DAO's focus for the first year. And so now we're asking like, what are the most valuable things for us to focus on next? So we talked about roadmap as well. Let's see, we had a debate around fees, which was really interesting. And back to your question around what, what community members control, whether or not to enable fees. Right now, Shapeshift is completely free. We don't add any fees on top of any of the services or protocols we integrate. But there's a proposal working its way through the pipeline to start experimenting with some fees. And I will be, I'm a strong proponent against adding fees on top of on, on Shapeshift. And then the final session that we had, and I'm sure I missed a couple, was smart goals. And so we wanted to make sure that we left the DAOWOW with some specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, or is it relevant, and time-bound uh, goals. And we have a meeting next week to bring that full circle and finalize those goals that were proposed at the DAOWOW. I remember when I was first just a token holder before I was working in the space, I was just like number go up and that's all I care about. But since coming into the space, going to these in-person events, the bonding time is completely memorable and it's something that's irreplaceable. So do you have any kind of like uh, amazing moments that you were like, this is where I need to be when you were <laughs> hosting the Dow Wow? Oh man. Well, it's really cool to see people in real life for the first time that you've been interacting with a bunch online and you've never met in person. So that was really cool. And there were a number of um, contributors who not only had I yeah, never seen in person, I had never seen a video of their face because they, they work in private. So that was freaking awesome. Eric came by one day, one day and night and um, hung out with everybody. So always super cool for also these new DAO contributors to actually get to meet Eric and hang out with him. We popped some Trump wine that he had collected. And then the last night we had a karaoke session. And so that was super cool. And that just shows like how close and tight knit of a bonding experience it was. The fact that people are comfortable enough to get up and sing. And of course, none of us are good singers, but we felt comfortable enough to do it. And then the last thing I'll say, I didn't mention this, but between each one of those sessions, we did appreciations and asks. So we paired up, everyone had the opportunity to pair up with everybody who was there in person and tell the other what they appreciated about them. And also if there was anything they needed um, or thought could help improve the working relationship, there was a safe space to give that. And it was so cool just to see like everybody was so comfortable and willing to give feedback and receive feedback, which just shows like how much trust we have. And that was so cool to see like the idea that you don't need a legal entity. You don't need a centralization to do this. Here, you can have people from all around the world who are aligned with the same vision, who can coordinate, they can self-select to come out and fly out to Colorado to get together and um, feel comfortable giving each other that feedback. Like that made me feel so good and like just more confident and more bullish on Shapeshift than I've ever been before. Yeah, that's awesome. Were you noticing that your community of builders is is really global? Was it mostly like a Western audience from the U.S.? What was kind of like the composition of not only the people who attended, 
but also the people that you know listened to the streams as well. I'd say most of the attendees were from the United States, partly because it was easier for, and cheaper for them to fly out there. But we definitely had contributors all the way from Australia and from the Czech Republic flying in. That was awesome to see. And then tuning in, absolutely. We had a very global audience tuning in. And that is one thing that is going much better at the Dow than it ever was at Centralized Shapeshift. Again, like not only do we want to have people in the office before, but we had tried to kind of grow communities and uh, acquire more users globally at Centralized Shapeshift and always really struggled to do it. But in the Dow now, it's working much better. And um, we have communities in all around the world in multiple different languages. They translate the app into different languages. Now users can come in and actually join the community and uh, speak with you know their fellows in, in a language that they're familiar with and attend community calls in Portuguese. And it's super cool to see. So props to the globalization work stream because that is definitely one thing that's working much better in the Dow than it was at Centralized Shapeshift. Awesome. So wrapping up, what are some of the next steps for the Shapeshift DAO or for Fox Foundation that you're particularly excited about? Are there any cool implementations on the way or, or what does that look like? Yeah, we're really thinking about how can we be the best. Some of the features that I'm excited about over the next three months are uh, expanding to more EVM zones, Thorchain Savers Vault, so you'll be able to earn yield on your native Bitcoin. Really excited about that one. Displaying DeFi positions. Um, and I think this is what can make Shapeshift the best way to view your portfolio. So not only being able to see all of your DeFi positions uh, on Ethereum, along with all of your assets on Ethereum, but also uh, in that same dashboard, being able to see your Bitcoin and your Cosmos. Really think that once we're displaying the DeFi positions, which not only do you think we can have a better UX than what's out there and design it better, but just be the most comprehensive uh, view of your portfolio objectively. That's a really popular use case and um, something that we're behind on because we haven't we're not displaying the DeFi positions yet, but once we catch up on that, I think we can be the best. We haven't talked about Arceo, but if you guys have heard of Foxchain, um, it's now been renamed to Arceo. This has been in the works for over a year now uh, in partnership with Coinbase Cloud. And it's basically like a decentralized Infura for all the chains. So this is the, I mentioned earlier, like we launched the new version of Shapeshift. That version, the front end is decentralized. It's hosted on IPFS, but the back end is still um, centralized blockchain infrastructure. So Shapeshift's always run these nodes. The foundation's now running some of these nodes, but we also have a community member running this node infrastructure. Once Arceo goes live, that will be our um, Arceo is, like I said, a decentralized Infura, and it will basically replace the backend. And at that point, the Shapeshift app will be completely decentralized, accessible to anyone, anywhere in the world, censorship resistant, completely unstoppable. So I'm really excited about that. There's more stuff I'm excited about, but those are probably, so those are probably some of the biggest ones, and, and I'll stop there. But yeah, just basically like so much cool stuff on the roadmap. The vision's really finally coming together. And it's a big vision that we've been working towards for years, but the pieces are finally coming together. Yeah, that's super cool. And is Arceo a work stream or is that kind of a separate entity of a group of people who came together to build it? It started as a work stream and now it's kind of transitioning from a work stream to its own community. And um, once it goes live, it will be separate from the Shapeshift DAO. So we kind of helped incubate it and fund a lot of the research and initial development. And then Arceo is going to be launching estimated Q2 2023 as a Cosmos IBC chain. There will be an airdrop and the details for that are all published. You can see that proposal in Shapeshift DAO. And um, once that goes live again, Shapeshift app will be completely decentralized, but Arceo will be its own community that we're friends with. Super cool. Like I said earlier, huge fan of Shapeshift since day one of my crypto journey into the space. It sounds like we both kind of got our start from the OG pre-KYC Shapeshift application. So it's awesome to be able to chat with you 
and hear about your journey and all the things that excite you and all the cool things that you guys are working on. So if people want to keep up to date with you or follow along with the project, what's the best way that they can reach out or, or just simply follow? Well, definitely follow Shapeshift on Twitter and jump in our Discord, discord.gg slash Shapeshift. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Willie Ogo on Shapeshift, W-I-L-L-Y-O-G-O. Awesome. Willie, uh, always a pleasure to chat with you in Meetspace and uh, virtually for the podcast. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. It's really cool to be able to talk with you about all this really awesome stuff and to be able to share it with the listeners of the Smart Economy podcast. So I really appreciate it. Appreciate you too, Dylan. Thanks so much for having me, man. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? It was really cool to learn about the early days of Willie's second startup and how its product market fit made it a perfect aquahire for the team to onboard to the then centralized Shapeshift. It was also really interesting to learn more about the DeFi protocols Shapeshift added to the DEX's backend and how that allowed Shapeshift to come back to its roots. And it was great to learn more about how the leaders of the DAO seek to create a cohesive community amongst its builders and position Shapeshift to become a decentralized success. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.